with the real Jesus, please stand up. That is what we started talking about last week. It's what we're going to be talking about for the next seven weeks. And here's why. If you would grab your sermon notes, just a kind of a quick review of last week. Um, I want you to be able to follow along. So if you're new, you can just reach in the back of your, your bulletin and you can grab those out. But I believe the church has an underdeveloped view of who Jesus is. Maybe not an incorrect view of Jesus, but by not having a full understanding of who the real Jesus is, I believe you and I are being hurt spiritually. Because when you really understand who Jesus is, we said last week, it changes everything in your life. And here's what we said last week as we look at just a review of last week. The name of Jesus is mentioned over 900 times in the New Testament. It's not only one of the key ideas of the New Testament, it is the entire idea of the 27 books of the New Testament, who Jesus is. Over 60 times in the book of Acts when God's church was founded, all they talked about was Jesus and who he was in every New Testament book, but the book of 3 John, which is only 14 verses, mentions the name of Jesus. Jesus was central to the belief in the life, in the message, not only of the early church, but of the early Christians. And when you and I live a life with an un underdeveloped view of who Jesus is, we live a life that is not as full as it should be spiritually. In this series starting today, we're going to study the seven I am statements of Jesus. If you were to ask Jesus, well, Jesus, you tell me who you are. Jesus will say, well, I am this. And the seven I am statements of Jesus tell us exactly who he is. And more than that, they tell us what he does in our life. So the next seven weeks, we'll look at Jesus' statements where he said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. Jesus, who is the real Jesus? Jesus would say, well, I am these seven things. I think an understanding of those seven things will change our life, and I think less than an understanding of those seven things won't allow us to really lean into who Jesus is as much as he wants us to. Today we're going to study that first statement, Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. We're going to be in John chapter 6. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn there, dial it up on your phone or your tablet, whatever you follow along with. If you're new today or maybe you forgot your Bible, our ushers always have them that you can use. Wave at our ushers and they'll give them to you. We're going to talk about today the only miracle of Jesus found in all four books about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We'll read a little bit of scripture, so if you want to follow along in a hard copy, just wave at our ushers. And in John chapter 6, we'll look at verses 1 through 15, and then in verse, we'll look at verses 25 through 35, we find out something very important about who Jesus was and who Jesus is to you and to me. Here's what John chapter 6 says. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and he sat down with his disciples. Now the Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, that was one of his disciples, where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and said, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? 
Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. And as they sat down, about 5,000 men were there. You, when you add women and children, a lot of scholars think this was 14 to 20,000 people. Jesus took the loaves, he gave thanks, and he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign that Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who's to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Flip over to verse 25. We find ourselves in the next morning. Between that moment and this morning, Jesus walked on waters, went and hung out with his disciples in a boat. And here's what happened the next morning. Verse 25, when they found him, that's the crowd who he'd fed, on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs that I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Don't work for food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed a seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works that God requires. And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one who he has sent. So they asked him, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness as it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it's not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven, but it's my father who gives you the true bread from heaven for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and it gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. What can you and I learn today from John chapter 6 about the real Jesus that can really shape our lives? Because Jesus says today in John six thirty five, I am the bread of life. And whoever would believe in me, whoever would put their faith in me, he says, I'll never be hungry or thirsty again. He basically says they're going to be spiritually satisfied for all of life. What can we learn about Jesus being the bread of life? Now, I've studied scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And the context of bread to the nation of Israel would have meant several different things. And it would have signified several different things. But I want to hone in today on three that I believe someone in here needs to hear, maybe everyone in here needs to hear. And my hope is that you'll never think about Jesus being the bread of life and Jesus breaking that bread the night he was betrayed. We'll take communion here in a little while. My hope is that you'll never think about bread the same way again because these people certainly did not. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. What does that mean? Let me give you three things that that means in the context of scripture. One, it means that Jesus sustains me. It means that Jesus sustains me. And as I studied this text this week, I told our pastors this morning before we prayed over today's services and all the ministry happening today at Summit Lakes Middle School, I said, I think this may be the point of the message that has meant the most to me as a Christian, not as a pastor, not as a teacher, but as a Christian. Because when I look at this thought that Jesus sustains me as the bread of life, I realize by looking at John 6 that Jesus has supernatural concern for us. 
Jesus has this supernatural concern for us that allows him to see the needs in our life before we even voice the needs in our life. And man, if we could just take time today to talk about some of the concerns represented in this place, man, we had better hope there was someone like Jesus who could sustain us. You know how many hurting marriages there are in our church? People who get out of bed and come to church every Sunday morning. And who are really struggling, I mean, real struggle. In a hard spot right now. You know how many marriages we have right now that are kind of crumbling in our church where we're ministering to the husband and wife separately because we're not, we're not sure they're, they're going to come back together? You know how many parents we have in our church right now who have teenage or adult children who don't love God? And they're just... They're destroying their life and their future with the consequences they're making. And every Sunday, the same parents write the same prayer request for their same kids that they don't know what to do with. You know how many people in our congregation this week are planning a funeral or are going to go to a funeral? It's, it's more than three different families who this week will, will be planning and attending or overseeing some type of funeral. You know how many people in our congregation are visiting loved ones in the hospital or getting ready to check in for an extended stay themselves? Or how many are facing unemployment with the local sprint layoffs? You know the handful of families who've been asking us to pray every week for the last eight weeks for fear of being laid off? I mean, the concerns just represented in our little church are huge. And sometimes we wonder if Jesus knows or if Jesus cares. You know how many people today are wondering how they're going to pay their bills next week? They're wondering how many more house payments they can miss before the bank calls and life gets really difficult. I mean, do you know the concerns that people have? Because Jesus does. Look at John chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. We, we learn something interesting about the needs of these people and about Jesus' supernatural ability to see and meet this need. In John 6, 3 through 5... It says, Jesus went up on a mountainside, and he sat down with his disciples, and the Jewish Passover festival, you should underline those three words, was near. When Jesus looked up and he saw a great crowd, you should circle those two words, because it's understanding this text in context that helps us understand Jesus. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where are we going to buy bread for these people to eat. Now, when we talk about the Jewish Passover festival, this was the one time of the year that Jews from all over the world would journey to Jerusalem. It still happens today. I, I challenge you, go online, try to book a hotel room in Jerusalem this calendar year for the, for the Passover. It's not going to happen. It's booked a year in, in advance. We, we've had to schedule trips around the Jewish holiday feast. But you didn't fly to Jerusalem and stay in hotels 2,000 years ago. Literally up to a million people would travel hundreds of miles, sometimes thousands of miles from all over the world to Jerusalem at this point in time. So this crowd would have been a crowd that had been traveling for weeks. This crowd would have been a crowd that was very tired. This crowd would have been a crowd who had passed the last McDonald's about four days ago, right? This crowd would have been a crowd that the Lunchables and the fruit snacks were gone. Like this, this crowd would have been a tired, hungry crowd. And I went back and looked at it this week because I wanted to just make sure I was seeing what I thought God was revealing to me in the text. 
This is the only one of Jesus' miracles that, are, that was recorded in all four biographies of Jesus, the four men who wrote a story about his life. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's, it's there, Matthew 14, Mark 6, Luke 9. And here we see it in John 6, and not one time was it recorded that the people asked for food. Jesus had the supernatural ability to see the hurt in these people's life before they even came to him and said, can you help me? And I think Jesus looks at this crowd today and this pastor on the stage. He sees our concerns for our jobs, for our marriages, for our kids, for our finances, for our health, for our relatives, for our friends. And Jesus is already supernaturally planning to figure out a way to help you meet that need before you've got, gotten desperate enough to ask for it. Why? Because Jesus sustains us. And Jesus actually taught his disciples in Matthew chapter 6. He said, listen, if you will focus on me rather than your needs, I'll always focus on your needs, and you won't have to worry. He said it this way, don't worry, saying, what, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these other things, everything in your life that you need. If you will seek Jesus, everything else will be taken care of because Jesus will be seeking the things that you need. Jesus sustains us. And the spiritual truth today is this. If you would just faithfully follow Jesus, he will always sustain you. This is what he was trying to teach these people in John chapter 6. If you will just follow me, if you'll just get faithful to me, if you'll just make sure and make church a priority, if you'll just make sure and make reading your Bible a priority, if you'll just make sure and make small group a priority, if you'll just make prayer a priority, if you will seek after me on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis, I'll take care of all that stuff. Just follow me because Jesus sustains us. This is what he was meaning in John 6, 27 when he said, don't work for the food that spoils. Don't chase after things you're afraid to lose. But work for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, Jesus, God has placed a seal of approval. Don't work for stuff. Work for Jesus. Work to know Jesus. Jesus will take care of the stuff. Jesus will sustain you. Secondly, when we look at this bread of life, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, and we look at it through the context of Genesis to Malachi, and then later through the book of Revelation, we realize one of the greatest truths about Jesus that you and I need to remember or maybe understand is that Jesus is consistent. Man, Jesus is consistent. He'll say later, the author of Hebrews, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It means Jesus is consistent. But look at verses 30 through 35 because we get into this conversation about consistency. Can Jesus help me once or can Jesus help me many times? In verse 30, they ask Jesus, what sign are you going to give to us? That we may see that sign and believe in you. What will you do? And then they, they told him kind of, well, they were looking for our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness as it's written he gave them bread from heaven to eat and jesus said very truly i tell you it's not moses who's giving you the bread it's my father who gives you the true bread from heaven for the bread of god is the bread that comes down from heaven it gives life to the world sir they said always give us this bread be consistent jesus declared i am the bread of life whoever comes to me is not going to go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Here's the question they were trying to ask themselves. Is Jesus better than manna? This is what these people 2,000 years ago were trying to figure out. Could Jesus possibly be better than manna? You say, what's, 
What's manna? For those of you who are new to church, what's, what's manna? Manna was the name of the bread from heaven that God gave Israel every day for nearly 15,000 days. Every day for 40 years. Now, he really only gave it to them six days a week. He didn't give them any on the seventh, but he gave them two days worth on the sixth. So he gave them 15,000 days worth of food through this stuff called manna. You know what the word manna translates? The translation of manna is, what is it? That's what manna means. The people told God we're hungry. Moses said, God will provide for you. The next day it was on the ground and Moses said, there it is. And they said, what is it? What is it? I think you and I, a lot of times, ask this question before we'll follow Jesus with all our heart. Well, what's he going to do? What is it that Jesus is going to do for me if I do more for him? What is it that Jesus is, is going to give me if I give him more of me? Yeah, I try to eat breakfast once a week with my son at Chick-fil-A. For those of you who are dads with kids, I would encourage you. We started doing this several months ago, and the greatest thing that has happened in my life is having breakfast with my son once a week. And we just, we talk, we called our man breakfast. He turned 13 and said, you're becoming a man now, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach you how to be a man of God. That's our goal. So we were eating at Chick-fil-A, eating, and we've been talking about, he's been reading his Bible, and we've got a goal to get through sections of the Bible. And he had finished reading Genesis, but the kid was just like eating like a horse. Like he, I don't know if you've been to Chick-fil-A, they have these like little mini breakfast sandwiches. And like he had gotten a whole meal of three and then eaten them. And he's like, can I get three more? I was like, yes, I got three more. So he's like down six now. And he's like, can I get three more? And I was like, are you serious? And he's like, yeah. And I said, no. And he said, but I read the whole book of Genesis. <laughs> and I said, like, son, like the goal of reading Genesis is not to get more chicken sandwiches. The goal of reading Genesis is to know Jesus a little better. But it's funny how many times we say to Jesus, but, I, but I've been going to church and I want this, but I, but I, you know, but like I've been given in the offering and I need this, but I, you know, but I quit doing that thing and I need this. And like, I, what's, what's your chicken sandwich? What's your manna that Jesus says, I'm consistent and I'll provide for you. And you sit back and you're like, well, yeah, what, what are you, what are you going to do for me? See, we've got this attitude of wondering, what is it? before we'll follow Jesus. And here's the thing, the Israelites learn more about the consistency of God than the menu of God through the miracle of manna. What they learned is that God shows up every day. This was the lesson God wanted them to learn. They were supposed to learn to love God, not manna. But too many of them learned to love manna. And they looked at Jesus who fed them one time and said, that's pretty good, but Moses did it 15,000 times. You gonna be that consistent? And Jesus said, I'm going to be more consistent. And I'm going to show you how to love God, not bread, because I am the bread of life. The Israelites learned to trust that God was going to provide for them every day. But they learned it was going to be just enough for that day. Consistent faith one day at a time. Jesus would teach this principle of consistent faith one day at a time in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 11, when he said, pray, give us today our daily bread. He didn't say weekly bread, monthly bread, yearly bread, bread for the rest of our life. He said, Lord, give us today our daily bread. He wanted us to understand about the consistency of God because this supernatural, consistent blessing of God was so spiritually significant to the people of Israel that they memorialized it in the two most holy places on earth. The bread from God meant so much to the people of Israel 
That in the holiest places on planet earth, they remembered bread in the jar of manna that was kept in the Ark of the Covenant. God said, in the Ark of the Covenant, I want you to remember, I provided bread consistently. And then on the table of showbread that was forever set in the tabernacle, and then later the temple, God said, I want 12 loaves of bread, and I want the Israelites always to remember, I'm consistent, and I'll take care of everything that they need. You know, the lesson that Jesus wants us to learn from the bread of life is that God will sustain you, and that God is consistent. But I want to give you another illustration for how the prophets press this truth into people because it's meant more to me in the last few years. In Hosea, in Hosea 6.3, here's how Hosea defined and described the consistency of God. He says, let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him as surely as the sun rises, he will appear. Who in this room has ever gone to bed wondering if the sun would really come up the next day? Like who of us has gone to bed, I mean, genuinely concerned, what if the sun doesn't rise tomorrow? Who of us in here has gone to bed wondering if God's going to show up the next day? See, we trust just intrinsically that the sun will rise more than we trust that God will show up. Hosea says, listen, like you don't even think about the sun rising, it just does. And if you think about it, you would laugh and say, that's stupid. That's how often God is going to show up in your life every time. He's consistent. Jeremiah tells us that Jesus is more consistent than the sun, than the moon, and the stars. He literally gives us maybe the three most consistent things on planet earth. And he says, you need to understand, God's more consistent than those. He does it in Jeremiah 31 through 33, the great new covenant passage of the Old Testament, where Jeremiah says, God's going to change everything, and it's going to be this consistent. Listen to the words of Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says. He who appoints the sun to shine by day, who decrees the moon and the stars to shine by night, who stirs up the sea so that, it wa- so that its waves roar, the Lord Almighty is his name, verse 36 Only if these decrees vanish from my sight, declares the Lord. The sun rise and the moon come and the stars. Only if the sun, the moon, and the stars, they disappear. Will Israel cease being a nation before me? This is what the Lord says. If you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that day and night no longer come at their appointed time, then my covenant with David, my servant, and my covenant with the Levites who are priests before they can be broken. God said, I tell you what, when the sun doesn't rise, worry. When, when one day it just, when one day it doesn't, nightfall doesn't come, you should get concerned. But as long as the sun rises every day and the moon comes at night and there's, as long as the natural order of business is happening, I'll be there for you. Now I've known these biblical promises, but they became real to me a few years ago. A few years ago I heard that my little sister was pregnant and it was, it was something that wasn't a celebration for my family. Uh, it was something that was a real concern for us. Because she had had three miscarriages back to back to back. We didn't think she was ever going to have a baby. And they found out literally that when she got pregnant, that her, her womb was, was not able to support a fertilized egg. And when it got heavy enough, it would, it would just drop. The womb wouldn't build up so that the baby could be born. So we were praying specifically, very specifically, that this fertilized egg would stay 
in the womb, that the womb would hold it there. And at the time, I was driving real early in the morning to work out with a friend from church. And every time I'd pull into his house, like I'd get into his driveway, and down his driveway, the Big Dipper kind of hung, hung in the sky, kind of on the horizon of the earth. And it was just saying, I, I learned I would pray all the way to his house about 25 minutes. And I just, it just dawned on me one day, man, the Big Dipper is like right there. Every day I pulled in, it was like right there. And as I was praying kind of bitterly one day, a little frustrated with God, a little strong in my words, and I was praying that God would hold this little fertilized egg in my sister's womb. Must have been a week or two of looking at that Big Dipper. And, and I'd heard all the, all the Bible verses about God knowing the stars by name and holding them in place. And I remember getting out of my car and saying, Lord, you can hold that stupid Big Dipper there every day of planet Earth. But you can't hold a little, a little fertilized egg in my sister's womb. And I just began to pray. Like, every time I looked at the Big Dipper, I began to pray, okay, God, if you can do that, you can do this. If you can do that, you can do this. And eventually, not because I saw the Big Dipper, not because I prayed, you know, great medicine, great nurses, stuff. My sister had a baby. He's healthy. He's awesome. But the Big Dipper kind of became my thing to recognize God said, if he can do that, he can do this. And when I'm in Israel, I make sure on my balcony to find the Big Dipper to remember if God can do that, he can do this. And when I was in India a few years ago, I made sure one night to find the Big Dipper to think, you know, if he can do that, he can do Like I was like the little mouse Fievel, like that star meant a lot to me. You know, I was like somewhere out there, you know, God can do this. I mean, it, it, was, it was incredible. And when we're in Kenya in a couple of weeks, I'll find the Big Dipper. It's become my thing, not because I'm an, I love astrology, but because God said, remember, just like you can trust that that's there, you can trust that I'm there. God is consistent. And when Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, he wanted the Israelites to say, for 40 years, you never worried. Don't worry. I'm consistent. God will show up. And I guess what God wants to teach us by understanding that he'll sustain us and that he's consistent, he wants to teach us thirdly that Jesus is trustworthy. He wants to teach you and I that Jesus is trustworthy. Look at verses 33 through 35 again. Jesus said, the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and it gives life to the world. I love verse 34. Sir, they said, Always give us this bread. And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. When we look at this interaction, Jesus' message of life and what type of life that this bread offered was so attractive that they begged Jesus to give it to them always. Did you see the words in verse 34? They said, man, if something like this really exists, if something is out there that really sustains me, if something is out there that's more consistent than the sun, moon, and stars, shoot, every day I'll take some of that, always. And it's interesting because this is kind of John's thing. This word life, John uses this word life 36 times in his book. Almost twice for every chapter that he wrote. And John's theme is pretty simple. Your life is better with Jesus. Your life is better with Jesus. This is what Jesus was trying to say. Jesus is like, if you want this bread, your life is better with this bread than with manna. 
And they said, we agree, give it to us. And he said, it's me. And they struggled to understand how Jesus could mean so much to them. But Jesus was trying to get them to understand that they had an inadequate view of who he was. And he was more than they thought he was. John tells us your life is full with Jesus, John 10.10. John tells us your life is eternal with Jesus, John 3.16. John tells us your life is forgiven with Jesus, John 8.11. John tells us your life has peace with Jesus, John 14.27. John tells us your life overcomes the trouble in it, in John 16.33. John tells us life with Jesus is better than life without Jesus. And the reality is you and I don't have a receiving problem, we have a recognition problem. You say, well, man, he hasn't given me that life. No, you've not received that life. Because Jesus didn't say he would be the bread of life. Jesus said he is the bread of life. And if you don't have Jesus, it's not because he hasn't given himself to you. It's because you haven't received him yet. It's because you haven't recognized all that he truly is. And some of us have grown up knowing about Jesus and loving Jesus. But we don't count on Jesus to sustain us because we didn't know that was his role. And we don't know how consistent Jesus is because no one has ever told us. And we, by our actions and our emotions and our stresses and our anxieties, starting with me, we prove that Jesus is not trustworthy, at least to the level that our spirit is comfortable yet, because we have an inadequate view of Jesus. But three more times in John chapter 6, Jesus will say, I'm the bread of life. John 6, 41. I'm the bread that came down from heaven. John 6, 48. I'm the bread of life. John 6, 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. So if you feel empty today, you need Jesus. And if you fear the death of this world and what it will result in today, you need Jesus. And if you struggle to get beyond the guilt of your past today, you need Jesus. And if you're living in stress and anxiety, the answer is Jesus. And if you're buried under the cares of this world, the answer is Jesus. Because he is the bread of life who sustains us, who's more consistent than anything on planet earth or the universe that we can see from planet earth. And he's trustworthy. And it's interesting because when we go back to manna, we see the manna of Israel was either gathered and treasured or it was trampled on and complained about. It was adequate or it was never enough. How do you see Jesus? Is Jesus a religious myth that you've never been sure of? Is Jesus a great man that you've always had tremendous respect for? Is Jesus a gifted teacher that you want to know more about his teaching? Or is Jesus the bread of life? Is Jesus the bread of your life? Is he the sustaining, consistent, trustworthy God that you can give your life and your future and your eternity to. Jesus wants you to understand life with him is better. But you've got to get all in. Because he wants to be not just a little bit part of your life. He wants to be the bread of your life. The sustaining, consistent, most trustworthy part of your life. Because life with Jesus is better. Can we pray together? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed as we pray this morning. And in just a moment, we're going to take communion together as a congregation. And our ushers are going to come forward and they're going to serve the elements. Our worship team is going to come. 
But before we do that, my, my fear was that if we raced into communion, that there may be somebody here today who needs Jesus. I'm not talking about an inadequate Jesus. I'm talking about the sustaining, consistent, trustworthy Jesus. I'm not talking about, I, I prayed a prayer and gave my life to Jesus, but I feel empty. You know, I love Jesus, but I'm afraid to die and, and, and I'm afraid of eternity. Uh, you know, I, I, I prayed a prayer to Jesus one time, but I still struggle with the guilt of my past. You know, I love Jesus, but I live in stress and anxiety. I love Jesus, but I'm barren. Listen, you don't have all of Jesus if you have all of those. And the answer today is to give your life to Jesus. Not to go through a class, not to be baptized, not to pray a prayer, but to give your life to Jesus. Because he's the bread of life that if we truly understand it, we'd say, always, every day I want that in my life. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you're in here today and you don't have all of Jesus, if you're in here today and you want to say, I've got a little bit of religion, but clearly I don't have this Jesus and I want this Jesus in my life, I want to be all in. Would you just pray this prayer where you're seated?